you're fine to the New Testament book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4, we'll begin to read in verse 1. I want to speak to you this morning on this subject, making a kingdom impact. Making a kingdom impact. Ephesians chapter 4, we'll begin to read in verse 1. Please stand with me this morning, all those that can and are able in honor and in reverence for the reading of God's word. We're Ephesians chapter 4, I'll begin to read in verse 1. The Bible says these words, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, I beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But to each of us, one, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended, what does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fulfill all things. And he himself gave some to be apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to be a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plottings. But, speaking the truth in love, may we grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Let's pray together. Father, we ask your spirit would speak to us, challenge us today. God, I pray for those in our midst who have never been spiritually born again. They've never repented and trusted Christ to be Lord of their life, called out to him for mercy and for grace. We pray they'll choose to turn and receive this great gift that the believers at Ephesus did. Many here uh, this morning will gladly give testimony. There's a day that they can identify where they turned and trusted Christ. We pray for those that need to make that decision. Pray they'll do it. I pray you'll challenge your church family today. We'll really take hard inventory of our lives. Are, are we really making the kingdom impact that you desire for us to make? Remind us that everybody makes an impact. But are we making the impact that you want us to that builds up the kingdom and not destroys it and tears it down? God, I pray as we come to a time of invitation, whatever you're calling men and women to do this morning, we'll be obedient. It's in Christ's name we pray and ask these things. Amen. How about you to be seated? Many years ago, uh, the evangelist D.L. Moody uh, was listening to uh, the English evangelist Henry uh, Varley. 
And he spoke that day to a captive audience in which D.L. Moody sat. And Henry Varley stated these words. He said, the world is yet to see what God can do through a man who is totally yielded to him. And that really struck D.L. Moody, probably one of the greatest evangelists who ever lived, who had not really begun his ministry yet. And he heard that. And he was convicted in his heart. And he, he desired to make a great impact for the kingdom uh, in his life, and he said in response to that, by the grace of God, I will be that man. Remember, a church had been planted in Ephesus. The book of Ephesians is broken up this way. The first three chapters are a great deal of doctrine that the Apostle Paul reminds this church who is facing a lot of worldliness. They lived in a very, probably the most worldly city uh, of any of the cities that New Testament churches were planted in. And he reminded these believers of all the riches that they had in Jesus Christ. But at some point, friend, you've got to put doctrine into duty. And so he turns the page, as it were, between chapters 3 and chapters 4 and really begins to challenge the church to put doctrine to work, uh, to put it into shoe leather, to make a kingdom impact in their day. And the church at Ephesus had the same opportunity as D.L. Moody did to be totally yielded to God. And through Christ and the spiritual freedom that he provides, they had the potential to live a life with eternal kingdom impact. Don't you listen to me. You do too. Your family has that opportunity to make an eternal kingdom impact for the good of the kingdom. Now, I want to remind you as we begin this service, you're going to make an impact in this world. It's either to the positive or to the negative. But an impact you'll make. But if you would make a positive kingdom impact which builds the kingdom, there's some things that must be necessary uh, in your life. And Paul begins to share that in the verses that we've read this morning. He, he gives this challenge. First off, I want you to notice a prompting plea. A prompting plea. Look at verse 1 of our text in Ephesians 4. Paul says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord. This is one of the uh, Paul's prison epistles, we call them. He wrote four epistles from prison. Uh, there was Ephesians, there was Philippians, there was Colossians, and then there was Philemon, a little small book that we've preached through before. And so those were the four uh, prison epistles, but it's, it's almost as if it's a play on words. He is the prisoner of the Lord, but spiritually, he's the prisoner of the Lord. Paul has yielded control of his life to Jesus Christ. Whatever Christ wants him to do, that's what he's going to do. And that's why God was able to use a man like Paul to make kingdom impact. So he, he sets himself as an example and says, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord, I beseech you. That's not a word that's used a whole lot anymore. And if it is, somebody's just wanting to try to show off in front of you um, with old English language. Um, but that word beseech literally means to exhort, to encourage, to plead. Um, Paul was not just suggesting he was based on all the spiritual riches that he shared and wrote about in the first three chapters. He begins to exhort and to plead with the church. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you, what? To walk worthy of the calling of which you were called. Now, first off, take the word you. He's not speaking to people who've just joined the church or who just come on Sunday and sit and, you know, and, and the big word today, you know, enjoy community. That's, that's not who he's writing to. When he says you, he's talking to those 
who have made the decision in their life as the Spirit of God convicted them of their sin, their lostness, judgment to come, they chose to repent and trust Jesus to be Lord of their life. That's who he's speaking to. He says, I beseech you to walk worthy. That word walk, first off, it's the sum total of your lived out life. Now listen to me. It's, we, we try to compartmentalize or there's a temptation to. It's not just the you here at church that everybody knows. It's, it's all of you. You see, God sees it all. We don't know the conversation you and your family had or the conversation you had with yourself on the way here this morning. We don't know the one you're going to have on the way home. We don't know what happens under your shingles. We don't know how you are at work. Some people may have, but the church as a whole, we don't know. Why don't you listen to me? There's a God in heaven that knows. He knows the real you. He says, I, I, I beg with you, I, I plead you, that you will walk, that the sum total of your lived out life will be worthy, literally deserving of the calling with which you were called. It's the call of Christ to all men to be saved. First off, there's the, there's the first call that people repent and trust Christ. Uh, Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30, Jesus says, Come to me, all you labor and are heavy laden. He says, I'll give you rest. Here's discipleship. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. But the first call that Christ extends is to repent and be saved. And then there's the call to follow him. Matthew 16, 24, uh, Mark 8, 34, Luke 9, 23. They're all parallel passages. Then he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. That's, that's the call of Christ. He says, I, I pray, I, I urge you that you will walk worthy of this calling. It's the calling of Philippians 2, 5 that Paul shared with the church at Philippi to let this mind that was in Christ Jesus be in you also. Philippians 2, Christ who set aside all the visible attributes of glory came to this sin-cursed earth, made himself of no reputation that he might be obedient to God's calling upon his life, even to the death on the cross. Paul says, let, let this mind be in you. Walk worthy of that calling. And friend, I want to remind you that godliness is not invisible. If anyone is living out that kind of life of surrender, you're not going to have to guess. You're, you're not going to have to wonder. You're, you're going to see it. How do we know that? Well, Acts chapter 11 talks about the church at Antioch. And when Paul, when Barnabas brought Paul back there uh, to minister and to help build up that church, the Bible says they were first called Christians in Antioch. How did they get that name? Because a lost and dying world saw how they lived out their life. They saw the lived out daily walk, the sum total. And they said, man, those people are just like Jesus Christ. These, those are Christ. There's something different. Now listen, we're not talking about odd. There's a big difference between being surrendered to Christ and being odd. And if you don't understand what that is, come up after church and I'll try to explain it to you in a way that doesn't hurt your feelings. But... You may be one of the odd ones if you don't get it. There's a lot of people thinking you know, that they, they want to be different, but they make themselves different in their appearance and from the outside in, in ways to draw attention to themselves. Friend, our difference should only do one thing, point people to Jesus Christ. 
It's, it's a life that the Spirit of God can use to convict and to call and to draw for someone who doesn't have Christ to say, I don't know exactly what they've got, but I want it. I don't know what's happened to their life, but I want what they've got. It's, it's not invisible. And he said it will be marked. Look at verse number 2. People will notice this. And I promise you, the Bible teaches on the authority of God's Word. God does. This, this, this life that's worthy of the calling, first off, verse 2, it will be marked by lowliness. That's humility. And humility is one of those spiritual traits. If you ever recognize that you are humble, you're really not. Anybody ever tells you, well, I'm, I'm the most humble person you'll ever meet? No, you're not. But it's, it's something that God brings about, friend, as we humble ourselves to Him and seek to see Him exalted. We, we, we walk in loneliness and in gentleness. That's meekness. Now, remember, meekness is not weakness. I had a very meek grandmother, but she wasn't weak. She could carry the stick when she needed to. Meekness is power under the control of another. It's like a, a big 2,000-pound ox that's tied to another ox in a yoke. And they have all the power in the world to rebel and go in any direction they want to, but they've humbled themselves to the leadership of the one who holds the reins. And that's, that's what meekness is. We've yielded ourselves, all gentleness to the Lord. Look at verse 2 as it continues. Walk in lowliness, walk in gentleness, walk long-suffering. This is, this is patience. Uh, patience waiting upon the Lord. Patience in ministry. Patience in God's will. It's just enduring whatever hardship and difficulties come on in life because we trust God and we realize by faith that God can stop and prevent anything that he wants to come into our lives at any time. So if it's there, it may not be his perfect will, but he's allowed it through his permissive will. And in his grace, he will strengthen us and we can make it through. Long-suffering. It's also a walk that's to be marked by bearing one another. Um, not condoning one another, but literally putting up with one another. Now, there's a fine line. Paul never condoned unrepentant, blatant rebellion in the life of believers in the local church. Putting up with one another is realizing we're all growing. As we shared last week, I'm not who I should be, but thank God I'm not who I was. But thank God I'm not yet what I'm going to be. That's putting up with someone that we realize they're, they're growing and being patient with them, uh, putting up with them, bearing one another. Uh, verse 3 says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit of the bond of peace. That, that word endeavoring means trying hard, literally leaning, leaning into it, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit. But now listen to me, you hear this, never at the cost of compromise. God desires for there to be unity in the local church, but never at the cost of compromise. Remember that in Galatians chapter 2 and verse number 11, a passage that's tied to Acts chapter 15 that we looked at a couple of Wednesdays. There was a problem that was beginning to emerge within the early church. Judaizers were beginning to say, no, faith in Christ is not enough. You've got to be circumcised and you've got to keep the law. Then you can really be saved. So much so that Paul bears out in Galatians chapter 2, that Peter, Barnabas, they kind of yielded into that through peer pressure. Because, you know, got to keep unity. Want everybody to be together. Don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Well, Paul says, he, got, he says, I withstood Peter to his face. 
He says in front of everybody. Why? Because conflict in the church can't be personal, but Paul was personally willing to get a hold of conflict so that the gospel would not be compromised. It's all about the gospel. It's not about people's feelings. It's all about the gospel. Our unity is rooted in the Word of God and in the Son of God. Remember 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul says one of the greatest challenges the church at Corinth had is this. They had someone that was a member of the local church who was living in unrepented sexual rebellion. Their life was marked by sexual sin. The church wouldn't do anything about it, probably because half of them were kin to him. You can't hurt family, can you? And Paul says, put your big boy britches on and stand for God first. So he said, unity, but never at the cost of compromise. Friend, you hear me. People will also notice in your walk what you compromise on. You're known not just by the doctrine you believe, but by the doctrine you fellowship and the doctrine that you'll stand for. And so he continues in verse number 4 to say, there's one body, one spirit, just as you were called. Now he's talking about unity. There's, there's one body, one spirit, one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, the Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. And Hebrews chapter 2 and verse number 10 is a great verse that kind of brings all that together. Verse 10 says, For it was fitting for him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory, listen, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. The author of Hebrews was saying this, Jesus is the captain of our faith. And so if you want to live a life that walks worthy and, and displays all of these spiritual merits, follow your spiritual captain. Mark chapter 1, verse 17, Jesus says, follow me. I'll teach you to be fishers of men. And so if you want to live a life that makes kingdom impact, you can't separate it from a walk that is worthy of the high calling of Christ. I want you to listen to me, friend. Any other kind of life spits on the sacrifice of Christ. The opportunity to live this kind of life, listen to me, it was bought with a high price. Can you imagine on Christmas morning, you have saved you have scrimped, you've put together for a whole year. And you, you, you have saved to buy a very expensive gift for one of your dear loved ones. Something that they really need, something that they've wanted, but they just weren't able to buy. I mean, it really to the point that it, it's kind of impacted you financially. You just didn't put what was comfortable. You, you, you put aside it. It's really cost you. You can't wait to give that gift that they really need to them. And then they, they look at it, and they're like, man, this is great. And then they, they sit it in over on the coffee table. And then they sit their coffee on top of it. And then the coffee spills off the side. They're like, oh, good. And they kind of wipe it off, and they put it down in the floor, and they begin to rock back, and the recliner comes down on top of it and breaks the corner of the gift off. So I can't believe that they treat that in such a flippant manner. Do they not know how much I sacrificed to buy that for them? Friend, God loved you so much, He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to hang on a cross in agony 
and shame to buy you the opportunity to spiritually be born again and to live a life in this world that makes a kingdom impact. Live and walk in such a way that is worthy, Paul says, verse 2, of the price that was paid to give you that opportunity to be saved. There's a prompting plea. Second notice, a providing plan. Verse number 7 says, But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive, and he gave gifts to men. I'm not going to get down into the uh, trenches with what we have looked at uh, these truths before, and, and I'll just simply say this. Once Jesus died upon the cross, remember Luke 16 teaches this. Pay attention. At that time, uh, paradise had two places. One still exists today, the other's empty. Luke 16 says that Lazarus, when he died as a righteous man, he went to paradise. The Bible teaches that the rich man who didn't know Jesus, he went to hell. There was a great gulf fixed between them. So all of these Hebrews chapter 11 saints prior to Christ dying on the cross, they were saved by their what? Faith. Just like we are. But Christ hadn't died. This was pre-Calvary. So their souls went somewhere. Luke 16 teaches they went to paradise. But the Bible teaches when Christ died on the cross, he died. And he went down to paradise and he brought with him when he was resurrected all those pre-Calvary pre saints. And he took captivity captive. Look at verse number 8. When he ascended on high, he led captivity captive. That's all those individuals who had died in him by faith before he'd ever died on the cross. He took them to heaven. The Bible teaches to be absent from the bodies, to be present where? With the Lord. Well, where are all our loved ones today? Are they in paradise? No. Where is Jesus? He's in heaven. So where he goes, we go. And it's always going to be that way. So those are those truths. But make no mistake, hell's full today. And one day hell will be turned upside down. The Bible teaches at the end of Revelation, like a trash can. And all those names who are not found in the Lamb's book of life will then be cast into Gehenna, the lake of fire, for all eternity. Where the fire is not quenched, life never ceases. But someone dies there for all eternity. But what the Bible's teaching here is that he, he gave gifts to men. What is that? It's, it's a spiritual gift. Jesus gave us a gift after we received his first gift. Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So that's the first gift. The second gift is a spiritual gift. And maybe plural, spiritual gifts. A spiritual gift is to help in the fulfillment of God's calling, Christ's calling on your life within the church. Now look up here at me. Everybody who's saved is called to live on mission. Wherever your mission field is, if you've, God's called you to live here, this is your mission field. And you're to live like a missionary every single day. But within the life of the local church, you have a different calling. We're, we all should be encouraging people to be saved, but we all have various callings within the life of the church. Just as my body has a head, and it's got a throat, 
It's got two shoulders and arms and bicep muscles and tricep muscles and fingers. And I've got hip bones and legs and femurs and toes. I've got all these different body parts. They all work together for one thing, to help accomplish whatever the mission is for my body at that moment. But there's one head. Anything else, friend, if something has two heads, it's a monster. And there's only one head in the local church, and that's Jesus Christ. But God may call you to be a shoulder, an arm, a foot, a leg. Various, various functions of all of our different body parts. Well, the church body within it has various functions. And God calls every single member of the local church to accomplish something for the furtherance of the gospel. What's the mission of the church? The Great Commission. Reach, teach, encourage. And so you've got a plan in that. You've got a part that God has a plan for your life. And to help you listen to me, fulfill that calling, he gives you a spiritual gift or maybe spiritual gifts. All are to live on mission, but each of us have a different function within the body of the church. And when it comes to spiritual gifts, three words guide that discover, develop, and deploy. Okay, let's say that again. Discover, develop, deploy. You have to first off discover what your spiritual gift is. And we've had discipleship lessons on how you can do that. First, it begins with prayer, but then to look to the Scriptures, to what the Bible has to say. 1 Corinthians 12, uh, Romans chapter 12, uh, 1 Corinthians 4, speak of spiritual gifts. But there are some little tests that you can take, all based on Scripture, that can help you prayerfully discern what your spiritual gifts are, and then that helps you discover what your uh, calling is. God has called me to pastor. And so he's, he's given me the spiritual gift of prophecy. That's not foretelling, but forthtelling. And the spiritual gift of teaching. But there are various different gifts, but you have to discover what that is. And so that's God's providing plan that Paul's talking about here to help you make a kingdom impact. Well, let's look at the prescribed purpose of those spiritual gifts. Look at verse number 12 of our text. Those spiritual gifts and those callings are for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, and for the edifying of the body of Christ. The benefit of the gift is for the body. It's not for you. You know, no thumb lives for itself. The thumb makes an impact for the rest of the body. There's, the heart is not for itself. It's to pump blood to the rest of the body. The right foot's really not for itself. It's to, should I continue on? Your spiritual gift and calling is not for you. It's to be a blessing to other people. And I, want to, and I want you to help. The reason many people never discover their spiritual gift and calling is this. They're still coming to church with a bib instead of an apron on. So you've got, you've got the attitude that ministry's about you. You got up this morning and says, I wonder, wonder what music they're going to have for me this morning. Well, I, I wonder if, if, if the chair's going to be positioned. I wonder, now, I wonder if the coffee's going to be just hot for me this morning. Everything's about you if you've got a, a bib on. But if you've got an apron of service the way the Apostle Paul, you come, it's not about what you can get, but what you can give. Who can I serve? What can I do? God, how can I be a blessing of somebody? Look at verse 12. How can I help equip a saint today for the work of ministry, for the edifying, for the building up 
of the body of Christ. The reason you have a calling and a spiritual gift is to equip and to edify. Equip is to outfit, to help someone be spiritually ready for spiritual warfare and the callings outside the church, to edify, to help build them up in Jesus Christ. And, and here's the goal. Look at verse 13. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now let me read that one more time. Now listen to the words. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to be a perfect man or woman to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now if there's anybody here this morning, you think you've reached that goal, would you stand up so we could applaud you this morning? Anybody? Because there's nobody here especially me. That means, friend, the mission never stops till we get to heaven. You'll never be the perfect person God wants you to be until you're shed of this sinful body and this sinful world and you stand complete in him in heaven one day. That means this, friend, the work of the local church will never, ever stop. It'll never stop. Every week we just keep running the same play. The way we do it may be different. But the mission's always going to be there. Paul says we're, we're to keep using our spiritual gift till that happens. And it never happens till we stand in Christ's presence complete. But as we each use our gifts and we grow in the Lord through the Bible teaching ministries of this church and our own personal studies and our own prayer life, we move toward that goal. Every single day, friend, remember those, th those three things. I'm, I'm not who I was. I'm not, oh, let me get it right in my head. I'm not who I should be. I'm not who I was. I'm not who I will be. Anyone that's growing in Christ can claim that. And it's all because we're yielding ourselves to Christ's work. And also this. You're helping equip and build up me. When you use your spiritual gift, you're helping equip and build up the person that's sitting beside you, in front of you. Somebody up here at the front of the church, if you're sitting in the back, you're helping them up front, somebody in the back, through your faithfulness to the ministries within the local church. To make a perfect man. And the measure's this. Remember Romans 8, 28 says that God works all things out for good. Hardship, trials, good things. He makes it all work out good for what purpose, Romans 8, 29, that we might be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. That's God's plan for you, to look less like you and to look more like Jesus Christ. And in that, you're going to display something. Look at verse number 14. Here's God's plan, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plottings that will no longer be spiritual babes. He wants us to grow up to get off milk and to get on some spiritual beefsteak, to move to the deeper spiritual things. And friend, that takes self-feeding to do. If you only ate one meal a week, we'd find you in the hospital on Friday or Saturday at some point. It's going to have an effect on your life. And beloved, if you're only getting God's Word on Sunday, you're not going to grow spiritually the way God wants you to. And in that, you're going to be tossed around by every 
wind of doctrine that comes about that the devil tries to sow into your life. God's plan for you, verse 14, is this, that you have spiritual stability, that you'll be able to stand and to withstand temptings and hardships that come your way. And we're to use our gifts to encourage people, verse 15, as we speak the truth in love, that we may all grow up in all things into him who is the head, Jesus Christ, sharing truth and growing from it. Listen to me. You cannot become the spiritual you that God wants you to be with spiritual cotton candy. And by that I mean a lot of just the unbiblical fluff that's in books down at the bookstore. You're only going to grow into the spiritual man and woman that God wants you to be, friend, from the hard, true truths of the Word of God. That's the only way it'll happen. And you've got to learn to selfie. Thank God for the opportunity to preach and to hear. Thank God for the opportunity to sit in a Sunday school class and hear the Word taught. But my friend, I've shared with you for seven years, your spiritual life will never rise above the time that you spend with God every single day. You'll do what's important to you. And you'll make time for what's important. If you really want to make a kingdom impact, you're going to set aside time through discipline and dedication to study God's Word, to pray, and to respond, and let God shape you and mold you in who He wants you to be through the study of His Word. The Bible says in verse number 16, from the whole body... We're joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. That's the body parts of the church using their gifts. According to the effective working by which every part does its share. Friend, I want to remind you that the commendation of Christ in heaven will not be well spoken, thou faithful servant. It won't be well sung, thou faithful servant. It won't be well prayed, Thou faithful servant, it will singularly and alone be this. Well done. You got to do it. We can talk the Great Commission to death, and every year there's conferences and new books and strategies, but sooner or later, friends, somebody's got to go and share the gospel with their neighbor. We, we can talk about things we won't do in the church, but sooner or later somebody's got to step up and say, you know, by God's grace, I'll be that man and woman. I'll lead that ministry. I'll do it. We curse the darkness in America. I mean, the church constantly curses darkness. It's such a hard, dark day. Well, you know what? I can sit in a room where it's dark or I can walk over and turn on the lights. What we need is believers, friend, to, to be who Christ called them to be, to walk worthy of the calling, to make an impact on this world, and to be light. To help turn on lights by leading people to Christ, being salt and light, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by every joint supplies, working according to the effective working by which every part, what's that word? Somebody's got to be looking at their Bible. Does it share? They do your share. It's your reasonable service, Romans 12, and causes growth from that in the body for the edifying of itself in love. What's the Bible teaching? Someone sits and says this. Listen to me. I wish our church would grow. I wish our church would be effective, more effective. Well, right here's the plan from God. The local church needs to be saved 
surrendered, and serving. And he gave you a spiritual gift to accomplish that. But it won't happen unless everybody does their share and does their part. When every member walks worthy of the calling, lives on mission, grows in knowledge and likeness, and discovers their spiritual gift, develops it, and then, listen, deploys it. you got to put it to work. What good does it do you, friend, if you show up to somebody's house? Listen to me. And they've got a nail in the fence post that gets, needs to be nailed in. And they're over there with a rock trying to hit it. And you sit there and say, well, oh, I'm so glad I've got a hammer in my toolbox in the back of my truck. Or ladies, I just know some of you may carry a hammer around as a defense in your purse. But you've got a hammer. You say, well, I'm so glad I've got this hammer. And you just stand there and watch them keep just busting their fingers and they're bleeding. They just keep using that. And you say, well, I'm glad I've got a hammer. Now, I know how to get that nail in. Praise God, I've got a hammer. Well, friend, you've got to deploy that hammer for it to be a benefit. And so you need to discover your spiritual gift. You need to develop it, but you have to deploy it. You have to put it to use or it doesn't benefit anybody. That's how you make, Paul says, make a kingdom impact. The whole body grows and the whole body impacts a lost and dying world for the upbuilding of the kingdom. So questions to ask this morning are these. Listen to me. Am I walking worthy of the sacrifice Christ made? Now think about that. Go back to our little illustration. You bought that person that gift. You, you sacrificed to get it. And they treat it in such a way it's not worthy of the sacrifice that you made. As God looks at the sum total of your lived out life, you. Are you walking worthy of the high price that Jesus paid to give you spiritual life and freedom from sin's penalty and its possession and one day its presence? Do you know your spiritual gift today? As a saved child of God, if someone came up to you and asked you, what's your spiritual gift? Could you tell them? Well, then you've, you've never discovered it. If you know it, are you developing it? You know, the Apostle Paul, one of the greatest things he said in the book of Philippians was this, in, in, in a summarized English text, I've never, I haven't arrived. Paul realized he, he had never come to the place that he didn't need to grow anymore. Are you still developing your spiritual gift and allowing God to grow you and develop you and mold you? And are you using it? Are you, are you serving in the life of the church? And don't give me the age excuse. Don't sit and say, well, I'm too old. But listen, we started a prayer ministry that anybody in this church, husband and wife, two brothers, Brother and sister in Christ, can, or two sisters in Christ, can, can go back during, while the Word of God is being preached and pray for 30 minutes for the service. Now, I want to tell you something. If you can't sit and pray for 30 minutes, you got, you've got some serious spiritual problems in your life. If you just can't sit and pray for that, you can sit and hear the Word of God preached as a child of God, why can't you sit in the back and pray for 30 minutes? Now, somebody tell me that. So there's a place for everybody to serve in the life of the church. The question is, are you serving? Are you serving? Are you walking worthy? Are you deploying your spiritual gift? 
And literally, what's your goal in life? Is your goal just to squeak by and make it into heaven? Or do you really have a desire like D.L. Mooney, like the Apostle Paul, listen to me, to make a kingdom impact? Friend, I, I made a choice in my life many years ago. I'd wasted some years in my life that I could never get back. But Friday the 13th, August 1999, I got all in and I made the decision. I didn't know how many more days or years God would give me, but I'd give them all to him. And I want to tell you something, I'm a satisfied customer. And I had rather die in this world living for Jesus as a lean bird in the wilderness than a fat bird in a gilded cage. I want my life to count. I want my life to make a kingdom impact. I want my family's life to make a kingdom impact. I want our local church to make a kingdom impact like no other church can to the glory of God. But it won't happen unless we all together walk worthy of the calling, discover our spiritual gift, develop it, and deploy it. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. You can't begin to serve him until you know him. And that begins by turning from sin and trusting him to be Lord of your life. Can you truly identify in your life a moment where you turned from sin and trusted Jesus to be Lord of your life? If you can't, why not call out to him right now? The Bible says whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. If you've never turned from sin and trusted Jesus to be Lord of all of you, give all yourself to him today. And if you'll turn from sin and trust him, friend, to be Lord, he'll save you from sin's penalty. He'll begin to save you, friend, from sin's possession. That is, he'll help you with any addictions, problems, challenges, impact sin has on your life, whom the Son has made free, is free indeed. But it all begins with your response to the gospel. And if you've never trusted Christ to be Lord, do it now. Tell him so in a simple prayer of faith where you sit just like this. God, I confess that I'm a sinner. I turn from my sin. Oh, I believe Jesus died for me, that he rose again. And this morning as I turn from all the sin that's in my life, I turn to a risen Savior, and I ask him to be Lord of me. I'm trusting Jesus to be Lord of my life. Now, God, take me, use me, develop me, help me, live through me, oh God that my life might make a kingdom impact in spite of me as you live the life you want to through me. Did you pray that prayer? Did you mean it with all your heart? I'm going to stand right here at the front in just a moment. I invite you to make your way to the front where I, I want to encourage you in what God wants you to do next in your life. Child of God, would you be honest before the Lord today? Are you truly walking worthy of the high price Moms and dads, grandparents, is, is the sum total of your marriage, the sum total of your family's walk, worthy of the high price? There's a lost world watching. Is it worthy of the high price? Are all of those spiritual necessities marks on your walk? Then maybe the need that you have today is this, to pray just like this. God, forgive me for sins of commission and omission. God, more so things I've not been doing. God, I want a fresh start in you today, Jesus. 
I want to live a life, to walk a walk that's worthy of the price that was paid. I want all those spiritual attributes, God, to be there because you live the life you want to through me, in spite of me. I want my life to have a kingdom impact. I want the life of my family to have a kingdom impact. And God, I want to be the body part in this church that helps this church family make the kingdom impact that you want it to in this season of life. That's my prayer. Father, you speak to your church. Challenge them today. It's yours. You bought it with your shed blood. Pray for needs that are still represented in this place. Pray we'll be obedient to the call of Christ on our life. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Let's reverently stand at our feet.